Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. And this week, we have Tyler Hanley. He's the co-founder and CEO of Inkbox, uh, which makes temporary tattoos. There's a lot I want to dive into. Uh, there, like one thing, uh, Inkbox was recently acquired, um, and so uh, by by a pretty ubiquitous company that um, I think probably everybody knows but doesn't think about a lot. Um, Bic. But then also, you guys have a really interesting marketplace model with artists that I want to talk about and do collabs. We're gonna get into all of that. But Tyler, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. I was actually out of breath because when we were recording the 10 second gap for the background noise, I wasn't sure I was supposed to breathe or not. So <laughs> I was, you can you can breathe on this show. Don't I was worry. Holding my breath. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good. And I like the I like the fact that you threw the word ubiquitous in there because uh, you know Bix in that word, and I use that sometimes. Oh, that's surprised they don't. That's true. I, yeah, that's a good marketing thing. You mm-hmm. should tell them to do that. I did, but they didn't. They didn't listen to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, for those who don't know, do you want to just give a little bit of background about Inkbox and also yourself, how how it all came about? Yeah. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Inkbox, we are probably the coolest temporary tattoo company in the world. Our tattoos aren't quite the type you had as a kid. You know, they're not the stick and peel ones that you got out of a gumball machine or in a Cracker Jack box or something like that. Uh, our, our tattoos have what we call for now ink in them, which is the technology that we developed that essentially stains your skin. It changes the color of your skin to look like a tattoo for one to two weeks. So they look real. They last one to two weeks. They're waterproof as a result of that. And they just naturally fade away from your skin as your skin naturally regenerates itself. And uh, on the brand side, uh, you know, we're, I'd say the only temporary tattoo company that really treats tattoos as fashion and beauty. Uh, we have this artist marketplace with over 10,000 designs from over 700 artists from around the world uh, who make collectively uh, several million dollars a year selling tattoos on our platform, which uh, we're always really proud to to say. Wow, that's amazing. So what made you go into temporary tattoos? Yeah, you know, not something I, I dreamed of as a kid, you know, wanted to be an astronaut <laughs> or something like that, uh, you know, as you would. Um, but when I was about 25, I was thinking about getting my first tattoo, you know, young 20, early 20s, through that process of self-discovery and like, who who am I? How do I fit in in the world? You know, part of that process for a lot of people comes with thinking about a tattoo. Uh, you know, it is the ultimate marker of identity. And I was doing some freelance design on the side at the time, and I had made this design that I really wanted to wear as a tattoo. But I knew it was the type of design I would regret in like 10 years. I just didn't want to be that guy who had that tattoo that aged him. And it was just too trendy. And so I wanted to play around with... Was, was it a mustache on a finger no, or something like that? that was around that time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was super geometric. Uh, I was like a geometric wolf. Uh, and... Yeah, which is still decently popular, but I yeah, it's, it sounds fine. Uh, but yeah. I knew I wouldn't. I now now know, um, being me now, that I would not want that on me at the moment. So uh, through research uh, and playing around with temporary tattoos, I couldn't believe that they hadn't evolved since I was like ten. Um, and when I was a kid, I had gotten a ta- like a henna tattoo on a, a beach in Daytona or something, but it, like it messed my skin up because it had PPD in it all 
henna that's dyed with that's black is, is has hair dye in it. Essentially, it's terrible for your skin. It's a carcinogen. It will mess you up. So don't do that. Um, but that got me thinking that somewhere else out, out there in nature, uh, there must be something that dyes the skin akin to how henna or Mendy works. And through a bunch of research, uh, and this is at the time I got my brother involved who co-founded the company with me, Braden. Uh, we actually ended up coming across these tribes in the jungles of Panama who used this fruit to dye their skin. And that's where we discovered the, the active ingredient for the product that formed the basis of the product. And then we built the brand off the back of that, essentially. Had you done any brand building before or was this your first foray? Ooh, yes, but not well. <laughs> I mean, that's how it always works. I feel like everybody is figuring it out until they hit big and then sell their company for $65 million. Yeah, exactly. That's what everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so talk about how did you go from saying, we want to do this, we found the active ingredient to actually making the product? Was that, I'm always interested when founders who don't necessarily know the industry inside and out, or it sounds like for you, you're kind of creating a new industry because it's it's a different type of formula than anything before. How did you go about finding suppliers, building all of that? Oh, that's a a, a heady question. I think there's a lot to that. You know, initially, uh, I had had a startup before for a year, and it was like my first one. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't go to business school. I didn't know what a balance sheet was. <laughs> I knew literally nothing. And but my brother went to, uh, to school for entrepreneurship, so um, he was working at a, a share space at the time, managing managing it, and. I was looking to start a business and he was looking to start one too. So it was kind of natural that we'd work together on something. Um, but in terms of kind of figuring it out, yeah, like we kind of had to just look to adjacent industries and be like, okay, how do people apply temporary tattoos? Okay. We can't with the technology that we have here, uh, we can't do it that way, but we have to look to other industries. So we ended up looking at band-aids initially because they stick to your skin. They're obviously safe for your skin and you leave them on for a long time. And we knew we needed to leave our product on for at least an hour to two hours to, to work. Right. So, um, we looked at that industry and I honestly started just pinging everyone I knew, like, do you know anyone who works here or here? I did a bunch of research, learned that it was what's called the converting industry. Um, you know, they convert materials, uh, cut materials. And then a lot of that has to do with adhesives. So then I got interested in adhesive technology and then reached out to just honestly on LinkedIn sales navigator, finding, adhesive research specialists. Um, I found some chemists and just started cold calling people and just built up my network. And everyone I talked to, I call it networking up, right? Like everyone you talk to, if you're a nice person and you're curious and uh, you, you leave a good impression on someone, you ask them, hey, like who else could you intro me to? And from there, it kind of just snowballed and cascaded into more connections and that's kind of been the whole process as we've professionalized the business over the last seven years. The product is way, way more effective and uh, more sophisticated uh, in, in terms of manufacturing, engineering, and everything re- revolving around our supply chain than it was even two and a half years ago. So, Wow. Yeah. I'm sure the last two and a half years changed no matter what yeah, true, the supply yeah. chain <laughs> have. What did you originally launch with? Did you have artists from the get-go what what was yeah how did it work yeah it was that classic like reed hoffman quote where or is it paul graham paul graham quote no no it's reed hoffman you're if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product you've launched too late and that, that was, sounds like a reed hoffman quote, i think yeah. it is yeah uh and that was precisely the start of inkbox uh we took this fruit essentially, and and just created a formula out of it. I mean, we didn't do anything innovative. It was just adting thickening agents to it, put it in an e-cigarette bottle that we bought from 
e-cigarette filling bottle we bought from Alibaba. Alibaba was like the best thing because you could, without expertise, you could go and just search and buy all these products without having the, the know-how and the industry uh, connections essentially, right? So, um, and we kind of just hacked it together and we're mixing this really viscous uh, formula in my brother's apartment. It stains everything. So we destroy the apartment. Everything was stained. Um, and we built up an Instagram presence before we launched, uh, literally photoshopping tattoos onto bodies, onto stock photos initially. <laughs> like it was that scrappy. Uh, I built up about 2000 followers. And then we launched with this really rudimentary version to prove demand. And yeah, we got like eight sales on our first day. First one was from the Netherlands and Shopify has that cha-ching um, noise. And you obviously turn it off when you get certain scale because it gets annoying. But at the start, man, that was like Pavlovian, that response. Like it's what motivated you to keep going that people loved what you were buying, what you were putting out. So that was the first really scrappy version and it didn't work very well, frankly. Um, it worked well enough to get it out there, but um, it wasn't something we could scale with. It needed to be refrigerated and frozen upon shipment. It didn't have any sort of stability or shelf life or even like regulatory testing. Like it was it was not ideal. Um, so then we we had no access to capital. So we basically did a bunch of uh, research, brought some chemists in and developed the, the, the MVP of the next version, which was more scalable, then did a Kickstarter. And that's what kind of like set us on our trajectory. And what year was that? When did the Kickstarter launch? 2016, I believe. Got it. Got it. Cool. And so was, was the model... Always was that the idea, the model from the beginning that you were going to bring in artists and, you know, they, they would there would be a revenue share or, or did that come after you had already launched? So initially it was just me and my brother doing the designs. Uh, I mean, we did really simple stuff initially and the technology frankly limited us because they had to be stencils. There was no detail or shading. So it was like a music note and a lightning bolts and, you know, like it was really simple stuff. So. Um, but once we had the new product, we knew that we needed to get an artist involved. And it was around that time that marketplaces were being built up and, you know, just reading in publications like Modern Retail, uh, you know, how companies were building really large businesses off the backs of these networks, right? Getting these network effects. And so, um, and beyond that, I mean, we knew we didn't have the skills artistically to like really expand into new styles and whatnot, right? So that was when uh, we started building relationships in the tattoo space to bring in tattoo artists and then eventually graphic designers as well into the portfolio. Um, that was actually a challenge. Was Well, I want to ask you because you said you built up a following of 2,000 Instagram users. I feel like Instagram is probably your primary channel. Am I, am I incorrect about that? TikTok is like on par with it now, but historically, yes. Oh, interesting. We're going to, I want to talk all about that. But the, I know for a fact because of friends of mine that the, the tattoo community on Instagram is insane and very deep and very vast. And so how did you go about tapping into that? Did you have inroads already? Was there any weirdness from them? The fact that it wasn't a, a permanent tattoo? I feel like that is part of the psyche that I'm putting my art forever on your body, though maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, it was a challenge initially with the tattoo artists because the, the industry now is very different than it was five or six years ago. Um, and when we started, there was a lot of hesitation I mean, we were small. We didn't really know what we were doing either at the time, right? And we didn't come from this industry. And so, you know, when people see outsiders coming into an industry that is generally very closed off to outsiders, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know, they really perk up 
and they, they get pretty aggressive with you. So, um, and I think one of the things we really wanted to do too, was really change how tattoos in the community and culture was perceived because we noticed that a lot of the artists that were attracted to us, that were actually reaching out to us were very much from a new sort of, of artists who they were like, you know, art school kids who, um, you know, were looking to get into the arts and make money doing so. And they had a unique style, but they didn't come from like this kind of old school tattoo world, right. That was closed off. So we always wanted to make it more inclusive and accepted. And um, so those are the artists that we really ended up finding. And based on that template, we were able to just through you know, Instagram, uh, build these relationships with, uh, artists who were a lot more forward thinking, progressive or contemporary. Um, and that is most of the industry now. I mean, it's really shifted that way in the past, uh, you know, six or seven years. Uh, we also opened our own tattoo shop, like permanent tattoo shop, uh, in Toronto to really build those relationships in a much deeper and more authentic way. Wait, wait, wait. So it's a, it's a permanent as in the, it's, you know, needle permanent yep. tattoos. The shop is. What made you, was that just so that you would get to know people? Is there any ink box part, part of it as well? Or how, why, what made you do that? Yeah. One of the core pillars of our brand is authenticity. And there's always been this uh, kind of awkward uh, exchange between or interplay between the fact that we are like authentic with artists, authentic with the stories we tell, but to, you know, traditionalists, we are inauthentic because we're not the permanent thing, right? So we wanted to at least immerse ourselves in the authentic world of permanent tattoos uh, to, to build more genuine connections with, with artists and come at it from an angle that was, you know, something they were a little bit more used to so we could speak their language. Um, and that's honestly how we landed a lot of our biggest artist collabs was we actually had them through the shop first, got to know them, went out for dinner with them and, um, you know, just really brought a out that human aspect and like put a human face to the brand and said, Hey, like, here's what we're trying to do. Um, you know, we're good people like work with us, please. And, uh, we would love to promote you and we love your stuff. And that worked well for us. What is the average demo of an ink box customer? Cause temporary tattoos were usually focused more on a much younger generation and were, you know, they, they would be very simple and maybe given out at a birthday party. This is not what you're going for. And then also like the people who are designing them, maybe are a different generation than traditional tattoo artists, but they still are often professional, you know, artists. So who, so talk about that interplay between who's designing them and who's buying them. Yeah. Who's designing them. Uh, I would say it's about half of them are tattoo artists, full-time tattoo artists. Um, you know, working from shops all around the world, I would say most primarily in the States and Canada, of course, our hometown is here in Toronto. So a lot of Toronto artists, it's just easier for us to build those relationships. Um, but we have big artists from South Korea, from the UK, Germany, Italy. I mean, there's amazing styles from all over the world that we have on our platform. Uh, I would say, yeah, they're more contemporary, more minimal in nature than kind of like, we don't have a lot of realism or like neo-traditional or anything like that. I would say the styles are a lot more ignorant style, um, illustrative line work, uh, you know, yeah, just minimalist stuff that, that does well on our site. Um, and in terms of our customer base, a lot of people wear Inkbox from an age demographic perspective. Uh, if you normalize our sales volume by population, we sell pretty much evenly across the continental United States and to countries around the world. So it's inner city, it's suburban, it's rural. Like everyone likes the concept of art and wearing that on their body. So, um, but I'd say our core audience is really 18 to 28 is really where the, mm -hmm. the bread and butter lies and more women than men. Um, 
yeah, it's very, I would say, fashion forward. People who are seeking identity, wanting to express themselves and honestly just have fun. We're now going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I was doing some reading before and it, I read about a, a few artist collaborations. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you have uh, the K-pop band BTS did an inkbox thing. Is that right? And Gorillaz most recently. So how did that come about? Or was that something you've always been working towards? Those very mainstream, both of them have very specific fandoms. So I imagine people want merch associated with them. Is that is that something you've been working yeah, towards? Yeah, we always saw this uh, intersection between music and tattoos. Uh, a lot of people get tattoos of their favorite lyrics or something to do with their favorite band. And they're really both identity statements. You know, what music you listen to says a lot about you, but so do your tattoos. And so we always thought it was good to collab with people um, who were, you know, in the music space and particularly artists who had really engaged and particular fan bases where you could design tattoos around that were obvious to that community, right? So BTS being one of them, um, Gorillaz was the one we just did a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome for us. Uh, Gorillaz is, uh, they have an amazing fan base. Uh, you know, they've been around for, I don't even decades at this point now. I listened to them when I was in high school and they did all the, their own artwork for the collection too. Um, which was uh, really, really cool. I have a poster back there. Then that was the artwork they designed for us. And like, I get to hang it up now. And I think that's pretty cool. So was it, did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? How do you, especially, you know, you guys are, are very big in the temp tattoo space, but with a, with a, such a big artist, how, how do you get their attention? Yeah. Having a large social, pr- social presence helps, of course. Uh, my brother and I have spent the past, well, aside from the past two years, but before that, a lot of time in LA and New York and building these connect these networks, right? We didn't just build business networks. We built uh, like cultural networks, right? And, and, and meeting people in the music industry, you know, people at CAA, agents, managers, what have you. And just through that, we've been able to build up like enough connections that we can get intros to pretty much whomever we want at this point. Um, and we have a team internally that does just this. They do BD. Uh, so we hired someone from uh, well, people that worked at Universal Music, for example, that has a lot of those connections. Um, and we have advisors who worked in that space too, who you know help us with the contracts and negotiate on the, these deals. Half are inbound, half are outbound, I would say, of the deals we've done. Yeah. What percentage of your sales or just a ballpark come from these types of uh, artists like the non-marketplace, but with these IP pr- partnerships? I actually don't have an exact figure in front of me, but yeah, that's fine. I would say my gut would be around 15 to 20% of our business. And so the marketplace does the the, the other whatever. Yeah, the marketplace 80, does like, you know, 10% stuff we've designed and the rest is the marketplace. Wow, that's super cool. You're still DTC only. Am I incorrect about that? Or is that how it works? Or Currently, but that's changing, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to get into that, and I imagine probably Bic has something to do with that. But talk to me about uh, sort of your DTC growth, why you started DTC only, and then like, is that is that just because I, given that you you're such a, a socially shared company that it's natural that you you wouldn't focus on these these other um, sales channels? It felt obvious. Um, we have a, a new product that required explanation, and to sell through channels that we didn't control was quite difficult to begin with, right? So selling through a wholesaler didn't make a lot of sense for us initially. Um, so we got to control the messaging, D2C, right? And that was the main thing. And it was at that time when it was the heyday of D2C. You know? It was like people were Perry's, Dollar Shave. These companies were just flying 
um, on uh, direct response marketing. That's all changed now. Um, So companies like us are obviously looking to uh, a lot of other channels to grow. Um, So, you know, for us, for example, we're now moving into wholesale. um, So we're selling, we just got, we just hired a VP of of wholesale mm, four months ago. So we're selling into Urban Outfitters now, for example, um, talking to a bunch of other retailers uh, and considering opening our own stores too, our own footprint. Is your tattoo store still open in Toronto? Yes. That's only permanent though. And it's not called Inkbox. It's got its own name. Okay. So there's no affiliation between the two. It's just so you can make inroads? Yep. Interesting. Um, As you're growing out uh, this retail presence, like Urban Outfitters makes sense, but for the the most part, you're in a category where you wouldn't be where a traditional temporary tattoo would be. So what types of retailers are you looking for? Um, Or would you be looking more towards boutique, you know, other, other tattoo places, other tattoo parlors? Yeah, I'd say it's exploratory right now where we're exploring the, obviously the beauty retailers uh, and then boutiques as yeah. well, salons even, um, you know, places where it makes sense to wear the type of accessory that our product is. Uh, and as we go further into the future, we'll go more mass. Um, but the challenge is where do you put us? That's always the the, the, the sticking point with, yeah. with retailer discussion so far is we're not quite a temporary tattoo you had as a kid. We are beauty, but we're not quite the same as beauty products that traditionally exist. We're not in arts and crafts. So like, what are we? I mean, if you had your say, I've, I've talked with a lot of, so you'd want to, yeah, because I've talked to so many different companies where you know, the like, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, I talked with Fly by Jing. I don't know if you know them, but they make um, a, ch- a Chinese chili crisp. And uh, they wanted to put it in the ethnic food ex- section. And she said, no, I'm a hot sauce. And that made so much sense. And hot sauce gets a lot more traffic. And when she did that, she saw way more sales. And so you, you would be in the you would be in the beauty section. Yes, ideally. Makes sense. And so can you talk a little about the acquisition space? You sort of handed at this before with with Insta, you know, all the changes, it's getting harder to acquire customers. Uh, A, have you felt that specifically on Instagram? And B, you mentioned that TikTok is doing numbers for you. How have you approached being on TikTok? Yeah, so Instagram has been our primary channel historically. We have a million and a half followers there. Um, you know, we put a lot of work into building that following. And we put a lot of work into it. And it was really disheartening to see the greed of Meta uh, affect our ability to get our content in front of consumers. Essentially, you have to pay to get in front of anyone there now. It's 6% viewership on any of our content where it used to be like upwards of 60, 70%. And that's just, that really left a sour taste in our mouths. And we've always wanted to move off of Meta when we could, but the reality was it was the best channel because of the behavioral targeting. Um, but now that that's been stripped away, it's not nearly as effective. And so for, for us, TikTok is really that new channel. Um, it's really authentic and in terms of its entertainment and engagement. Um, and it's a totally different way you have to approach it. You know, it's not polished. It's not overdone. It's not really that thought out. It's kind of in the moment, what's hop- happening in a culture, hopping on trends. And, you know, our approach is like a venture approach, I call it, where we throw 10 pieces of content out there and one's going to hit. But that one that hits is going to do so much for us that we can run Spark ads behind it, which Spark ads, for those of you who don't know, enables you to basically put money behind someone else's content. So if it's an influencer you work with, um, you could put money behind that piece, right? So, uh, yeah, TikTok is now on par with uh, with our, our spend and our volume. And it's is it converting or is it just like, I feel like a lot of people talk about TikTok in that you get a lot of views and you'll, maybe you'll get some website traffic, but it doesn't necessarily lead to direct conversions. So TikTok's in-app conversion tracking is not there yet. <laughs> so you do not see conversions represented in TikTok. Definitely under 
underrepresents its efficacy. Uh, for us, uh, the simplest thing you can do is put in post-purchase surveys um, that ask you where you heard about Inkbox uh, or where else did you hear about Inkbox. And through that, uh, we can extrapolate what's what, and we only ask that for obviously like on, on the post-purchase journey um, for customers who've actually purchased. And, and through that, that's how we can see that, yeah, this is, we extrapolate it upwards and show that, yeah, TikTok is doing this much in, in, in volume based on this much traffic. Then we can extrapolate our CPMs off that um, and every other metric that you need, basically. Not CPM, sorry. I meant to say I meant to say CAC there, not CPM, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Is all of your TikTok content partnerships with influencers? Are you trying to build your own inkbox presence that that does it, its its own content? Yeah, both. Honestly, I think you have to do both on TikTok. Uh, the amount of followers you have doesn't matter nearly as much on TikTok. It's all about the algorithm, right? So, you know, for us, it's working with a lot of micro influencers. So we send out hundreds of, of packages a month to micro influencers um, who just post fun content. We take that content. Sometimes we chop it up and we make ads out of it, or sometimes we repost it. Our most successful video has, I think, like 50 million views. And we worked with an influencer who posted it. It only got maybe 25,000 to 50,000 views. Um, I haven't checked it recently, but it wasn't a lot. And then we took it, made a couple edits to it, put it out there. And those edits just made all the difference. And it has like 50 million. We put money behind it to get to that 50, but um, you know, it was really running a long time for us. So that and doing our own content. So to hop on trends quicker, uh, we have a team in house who responds to to trends. Like Ryanair actually posted us. Who you know, Ryanair is like one of the top TikTok business accounts. They they wore an inkbox tattoo a yeah. little while ago. Um, <laughs> but you know, Duolingo's big too, right? So we like. We had our, our team, uh, you know, apply a Duolingo owl tattoo. Pretty simple, but that got a lot of views for us. Hopping on a dance trend, but incorporating tattoos into it somehow. Just finding ways we can talk about cultural or participate in cultural trends uh, in a way that reflects our products without it being cringy. You know, we're 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 part of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean that's always that's always what's hard to make it not cringy. Well, I, I think that a good quote that an agency told us was that the best way to to create culture is to just participate in it. So like be participatory. Don't try to like put your stamp on it so much as just have fun with it. And that'll come across a lot more authentically. So with, with something like the Duolingo example, was that a, a formal partnership? Was that you reached out to Duolingo, you, you had a deal? Oh, or was no. it just, we just you, you told, <laughs> really, and that's smart. No. And so did Duolingo, did they, you know, repost it as well? Or was it just, you were, you were atop that trend? I don't think they did. I, I was a little bit disappointed. Scrub Daddy's next. I think we're going to Scrub Daddy next. <laughs> All right. I'll, you know, we'll try and let them know, get, yeah, get yeah. their attention. So let's let's talk about the acquisition. It was earlier this year that you got acquired. Is that true? Correct. Yeah. Was this always part of the plan? Was it? Were you were you seeing yourself as you know we're going to get a, get an exit and find you know a good portfolio company that we can be a part of? To some extent, yeah. I mean, we're a venture backed company, so we have uh, you know shareholders who are expecting some sort of return on capital and either that comes through an acquisition or going public. And, and for us, uh, the acquisition uh, just made sense and it was there in front of us. Uh, and so we chose that option instead. How Bic has been building out its temporary tattoo. Um, I think Modern Retail wrote a story about it um, a few weeks ago, actually, which I, I was unaware until I edited the story, which is <laughs> super cool. But like, were you, was Bic always a prime target for you or how, how did all of that come about? No, it was not. I mean, it does, it does <laughs> you, like you think about it. Um, you know, when you first tell people, they're like, what? Um, but then they think about it more. <laughs> they're like, okay, ink, ink, I get it. Um, but then they think more and you, they see what they're doing. They're like, okay, I understand. Uh, so no, they weren't on our radar, uh, but we were on theirs. 
And I, I guess that matters more. Um, so they reached out to us oh, a year and a half ago now because um, they had a product in market called Bodymark um, that was a temporary tattoo marker, more akin to the stuff you had as a kid, but, but it's like a skin safe marker um, that has really like tattoo colors and it's skin safe. It's fun to use. And so they were selling that on Amazon, Walmart, I think Target, a couple, quite a few retailers and clearly have this ambition to grow what they call their skin creative industry uh, and we're the leading player in that space. So it made sense for them to reach out to us and, and, and bring us in to help them build that category. Are you just an island now in, in, in the BIC ecosystem? Are you going to be integrated more into, are you going to work with Bodymark on things? Uh, how, how do you see your interplay with your now parent company? Uh, I would say very much an island at this moment. Um, the way they do acquisitions, at least with a business like us, is to leave us alone as much as possible because we have a skill set that they don't necessarily have. Um, and they have skill sets that we don't have. So it's very complimentary in that respect. Uh, you know, they can obviously help us with supply chain, uh, regulatory, uh, international expansion, mass retailers as well. Um, so, you know, there's, there's approaches there that will help us. Um, but for the most part, we're we're pretty damn autonomous and running the business as we see fit uh, with the budgets we have. Got it. And are you guys on any marketplaces beyond DTC, you know, with Bodymark on Amazon, et cetera? Is that something you do or would be into doing? Yeah, we sell on Amazon. Uh, it's almost like you can't avoid it at this point. So uh, that's growing really well for us this year. Um, and we're also on, uh, we're currently talking to a couple other marketplaces to get on too. Um, basically just trying to get in front of customers in more places. How do you do... Amazon, if, you, if you're a, a temporary tattoo with designs is that you have a, a curated set of designs is that you have the entire gorillas, you know, I guess, line of, of tattoos there. Is that how, how that's your strategy with it? Well, yeah, the collaborations would be difficult because we'd have to get those into the contracts. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. And we have we don't want we want we want control over those from a branded perspective. Uh, Amazon's more for like bestsellers that are I, I would say not necessarily more simplistic but more easy to wear for or for mass consumers rather than more particular and personalized because uh, a lot of our designs sell like all of our designs sell and personalization is a really big part of that. About twenty percent of our volume is custom tattoos as well. So really, yeah. So so Amazon's really more the mass skews um, that are just really approachable for a lot of people um, and. Uh, yeah, I think you, as a, as a brand like us, uh, we do, uh, FBA just so we can take advantage of prime delivery. Um, and yeah, it's been scaling up really well for us. Wow. Wh when did you get on Amazon out of curiosity? About a year and a half ago. We're just about out of time, but I have just a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. And I guess the, the, the big one is just sort of what are your plans for the year? Is it about getting into more retailers like Urban Outfitters? Are there any other things you're focusing on that you you hope will help with the, the growth plan? Yeah, it's a couple things. One is obviously distribution. Like I said, getting in front of customers in more places because uh, we're at the stage now where we can't just be direct to consumer. Uh, and beyond that, it's just getting our lifetime value and basket size up by releasing new products like we launched subscription uh, last two weeks ago or no, three weeks ago. And uh, soon we're launching some other products that uh, adorn other areas of your body. Uh, let's put it that way. So um, okay, yeah, really aiming to just get more into the beauty world, um, give consumers the ability to express themselves through the artwork of tattoos in more ways than our current product enables them to. All right. I want to keep going on one more thing just because I, I meant to ask you about subscriptions and I had subscriptions on my notes and forgot about it. Um, how How is that working? How are you approaching that? Is that sort of, are you doing an, you know, your bestsellers, they, every two weeks it comes? 
how, yeah, how have you dev- devised the strategy? Yeah, this, the strategy behind it's actually been contentious internally to, to, to figure out what approach we take. We did a lot of surveying with, with our customers. And honestly, we heard like two different views. Um, and it's been really hard to pick out what view to go with. And one is there's people who want it to be like fully customized. Um, and then there's another group of people who want it to be curated. Um, so from a branded mm. perspective, it's just easier for us to curate it because we don't have to build the technology for it too. It's more of like, uh, we get control of the brand. We get to put out really fun collections with our artists. Um, so we're taking that approach so far. Um, but it will likely have a little bit of customization involved where we'll show you a selection of designs from which you can choose your own. Cause Customers both, you know, the point of a brand is to simplify, I think, in a consumer's mind to some extent, but customers still want control. So it's always that 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 balance between how much control do you give someone and how easy do you make it? Uh, and that's kind of the fine line we're walking right now with it. Are you seeing subscriptions as like, are you th- hoping that more people give those as gifts? I could see that being a good gift to give someone. Or are you seeing that as oh, just another way to avoid churn and, and keep retention as yeah, you know, all of the DTC companies are yeah. chasing it's right It's obviously now. a retention thing. Um, for, for yeah. What we've heard so far, it's a really good entry point into the business because it's really a lot more affordable than buying one or two tattoos. Um, and for customers who just want to try the product without having to spend a ton of time finding the designs they want, it's just a really easy access point for them. Um, yeah, and then I do think it will be a really popular gift during the holiday season. Cool. All right. One last question that I meant to ask before, but it's a, a good button of a question. Um, do you have any permanent tattoos? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, you have a shop, you got to. So I've got tattoos for most of my yeah. artists and traveling guest artists. Um, my brother and I, he went crazier than I. Um, he has, I don't even know, he has countless at this point tattoos. I have about 14, so I can still count mine. All right. Yeah. I always had a joke with earlier, I don't have any tattoos and it's because of the reason that you cited earlier where I don't, don't trust myself two years from now. But I always said that I would just get a tattoo of chocolate cake because I like chocolate cake. And you will never not like chocolate cake. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you should um, do it. Yeah. Any, any day now. Um, all right. Well, Tyler, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you joining. Um, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.